Welcome to Nebraskanomics, where we help Nebraskans remove barriers to opportunity with policy research and legislative advice. I'm your host, Jim Vocal, CEO of the Platt Institute, a Nebraska-based think tank promoting policies that make it easier to get a good job, start a business, and help Nebraskans keep more of what they earn. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, then let's get started. All right, today on uh, our guest on Nebraskanomics is uh, Senator Luann Linehan, the current revenue chairwoman. And you've been chairwoman, uh, Senator Linehan, of Revenue Committee for how many years? Uh, that's a good question. I think five, five years. Five. So it'll be a total of six. And uh, so welcome to Nebraskanomics. And you've got one year left of your term as senator and one year left is chairing the important revenue committee. And you just came off of a monumental legislative session as it relates to taxes. As we continually continuously talk about the Platt Institute, uh, Nebraska wasn't necessarily keeping up with its peers. Uh, states that were really moving the needle on tax reform no longer looked like Florida and some of the Sunbelt states, but they looked like states like Nebraska. Our competitive competitors across the river, Iowa, dropped their uh, income tax rates substantially. So we saw this landscape of tax reform happening all across the Midwest. Because of your leadership and certainly the leadership of Governor Pillen, passed a substantial tax uh, reform package, including both income and property tax reform. Why don't you start by outlining uh, the parameters and the provisions of, of that income tax and uh, property tax bill. Thank you, Jim, and thank you very much for having me here today. What happened this last year was an accumulation of many people's efforts. I will even go back to Blueprint, which you were involved with, which was uh, Owen Palm and Lance Fritz headed that up and they had people from all over Nebraska got together and they laid out a plan, right? And the, one of the big goals is we have to get our income tax rate down to 4% or less, and we have to do something about property taxes. So when I first, my class was a big class, uh, and I had several of them on the revenue committee this year. When we first got there, there was a back and forth. Our biggest probably year was the 1107 battle where business couldn't get incentives done and ag couldn't get property taxes done. And it was also the COVID year. So we went home and then we came back and it was a nightmare, right? But finally, we all agreed that we had to have some kind of deal. Property tax had to get something and so did business. So we did the 1107 package, which created the income tax credit, which nobody liked in the beginning. But then we came back the next year and we could do more. And because of the way the bill was written, the property tax credit didn't end up being 375 ended up being over 500 million. Tom Breezy dug in. And we basically came to the situation. This was, and Lee Will, who's the budget director, both for Ricketts and for Pellin, was very instrumental in this. We all understood that business can't get to 33 and ag can't get to 33 unless we work together. So there were these charts we put together, mostly Lee Will in the governor's office. This is how much the income tax cuts will cost. This is how much we can do on property tax. And we made sure that those were equal amounts every year for the next several years. So that's how we got, when we when we realized, amazingly, everybody can win here. Everybody can have a win. 
And when we got to a point where everybody could have a win, I told somebody today at a chamber thing, I knew it was going to be a very good year last year when our first vote on income tax cuts was like 42 senators. I'm like, okay, we're going to be, <laughs> we're in a very good space here. So I just think it was a matter of, I can't give enough credit for the whole time Senator Ricketts was governor keeping spending down. And I can't give enough credit to Governor Pillen for coming in and not being afraid to do big things. He understood how much money we had. Clearly when you have two and a half billion extra dollars, people are paying too much in taxes. So we needed to cut taxes. So it was really, and thank all of Nebraskans because one of the blessings we had COVID, we've always complained, or I heard many people complain, that we don't have tourism in Nebraska. And that's a problem. Well, you know what? So COVID didn't affect us that much because we don't, we had some industries were hurt, but not like we didn't have a statewide problem. Our, our industries, agriculture, food, banking, insurance were essential industries. They didn't shut down. So we had, we kind of flew through the COVID I don't know, one, number one or number two, depending on who's judging of how we handled COVID. And again, Ricketts didn't lock down the state. He was safe. He kept people safe, but he didn't lock us down to where people had to stop doing business. You mentioned uh, the state being flushed with cash, and that means that we're taxing uh, Nebraska taxpayers too much. We have to give it back. We had an influx of federal dollars that brings me to our next, my next question for you. I, I think as as we look at Nebraska and, and quite frankly other states uh, that have recently done substantial uh, tax reform, how do we sustain the tax reform going forward? You mentioned that the only way that we even had a shot was the previous administration watching uh, the budget, and certainly I think that continuation of that philosophy will happen under Governor Pillen if you looked at the budget that you, you folks just passed. How do we sustain tax reform going forward? And what are plans down the road uh, if, if the existing coffers don't fund the tax reform? So, well, the really good news is, and there's a lot of misinformation by other think tanks out there that somehow we're short on cash. We are not. We have over $817 million in the rainy day fund. We also set aside a billion dollars in the Education Future Fund. So that is more money than we've ever had cash laying around. So we're, and on top of that, Tax Rate Review Committee at the end of July, of which I get to sit on because I'm chairman of revenue, we discovered that I think when we left, we thought we had the minimum reserve at like 330 million. But then when they really ended up the books for the fiscal year, there was another 300. I think 40 million. So when we go back in January, there's 600 million sitting in the general fund. So 817 million, a billion and 600. We are in very sound financial shape. So what we have to do is we have to keep focused on the spending and keep it down. And Pillen seems very committed to that. I heard him today say that he is looking for ways that we can do better, better services, but do it as Ricketts and Pillen have both said, we have got to bring the state services up to what businesses do today. You do more with less. You better services with less money. So I think I feel really good. And I was a little nervous in June when nobody was getting rain. And I was thinking like, oh, we do not need, 
we do not need a bad drought year, but uh, that seems to have been taken care of too. So I think we're in really good shape. Um, also, I don't know, I am, I'm not worried about sustaining the tax cuts that we did this year, next year. I do think people need to understand that the election cycle in 2024 20, is a very big deal. My class of which I think there's now 14 of us, and that includes some significant leaders that worked across the, lot, the aisle, Mike McDonald, Justin Wayne, Tom Breezy. They're, we're losing a group of people and we need to make sure that we elect conservative people that wanna keep the tax cuts that we've passed and wanna do the things we've done. We need to make sure we elect that class that will help Governor Pelling continue on this journey of making Nebraska competitive. So we just looked in the rearview mirror a little bit on the last session. As you look ahead to a shorter session next year in 2024, still got some work to do on some taxes, uh, whether it's the property taxes, still our seventh highest uh, rates in the country. We have the state inheritance tax. What may be on your mind or the revenue committee's mind as it relates to further tax reform that needs to be addressed in the short term? Well, I want to. I was at an event that the Platt Institute hosted last night, and I want to thank you for doing it. I think I know this is just a little look back, but there is much confusion in Nebraska as to valuations versus levy, property taxes not going up. So, for as long as I've been in the legislature, I noticed that people like to say, mayors, county boards, well, we dropped the levy, and what people hear is my taxes are going down and then they get their tax statement and their taxes have gone up five or $600 and they don't, they, they feel like they're the only one that got ripped off somehow. When in reality, everybody's going up because the levy, levy is only what, which you did a great job of explaining last night. So Governor Pillen has put together a group committee and I'm on it. I think Senator Albright, I think there's, I think maybe Senator Jacobson, four or five senators with other the chambers and the Farm Bureau, I think, Senate, we're gonna look at the way we do valuations. There are many states that cap valuation increases and obviously they do so because the public is getting chased out of their homes. We can't afford to chase people out of their homes. So do I don't have the answer. I have sometimes resisted, you know, just freezing everything in place and saying it can only go up 3% a year, but I don't know if there's a better way. I, but I'm very anxious for this roofing working group. So I think looking at valuations and how much they can go up, keeping spending under control. And on the inheritance tax, we should do away with the inheritance tax. I don't know if we can work out some deal with the counties because counties with some some righteous now some of the counties I think could tighten their budgets a little bit, but they are wholly dependent on property taxes. They don't most of them, some of them do, but very few of them have sales tax. So I understand why they like the inheritance tax, but it's just a fair, unfair tax. And I'm sure people leave Nebraska over because you can live almost anywhere else and not pay it. So why would you, why would you stay here if you have a lot of money? Right. You have 45 other states to pick uh, that, that don't right. levy that. That don't have bad winners. <laughs> That's right. Do you yes. ever get frustrated when people look to the state and you as an elected uh, official on a state level to control property taxes or influence property taxes when the state is not a property taxing entity. I know there's ties to education funding, but it seems to me that 
the onus typically falls on, on you rather than the local spending decisions and the taxation decisions on, on a local level. So I do get frustrated. I get frustrated because people don't understand we don't collect any property taxes in Lincoln. It's, people of Nebraska did away with that in 1967. So I, I do get frustrated, but I also understand. And it's one thing I'm, I'm not particularly fond of term limits because nobody else has term limits. So the county boards can serve for 20 years. They can, school boards can serve for 20 years. We're all term limited. So by the time you kind of catch on to what's going on, you're halfway done with your eight year term. But we are the legislature. We are over, we are senior to county boards, school districts, city councils. I don't blame the people to looking at the legislature and saying, fix this. Because we actually have the power to do it. We can control valuation increases. We can set levy maximums and minimums. We can we can do all that. So yes, we don't we don't collect them, but I don't buy into we can't do anything about it. I think we can and should and must address these issues. So thank you for that. Last year, a couple things were stripped from the package, not because it didn't have the support, obviously, of your committee or, or the centers, but just couldn't afford it. And I won't bore people with necessarily the the policy wonkness of, of these things, but one of them dealt with how we treat remote work and, and employers, and the other was decoupling. And, and I don't think decoupling uh, is on many folks' radar. And just for our listeners, if we don't decouple from the federal code, uh, Nebraska businesses, if I'm understanding this correctly, will not be able to fully expense large capital purchases, which is going to unfortunately cause them to have a higher taxable income from a state standpoint. Any plans or any thoughts on those two things that were taken out of the package from an affordability standpoint last year? I have not actually, I've been busy with another project. I think we're going to talk about a little bit. So I haven't looked at that that much this summer. I do know that uh, Senator Von Gillern was very disappointed that we didn't do more on that. And he's still going to be on the revenue committee. So I'd be very surprised if he doesn't come back with guns of blazing. And there was a sense last year that we were getting so much done in such a difficult situation that if, if there was confusion about it amongst the members, it was better to wait until this next year. So I expect both of those things to be addressed. And I think on the remote worker thing, I think some of the fear there was just not just not having the bandwidth to, to make sure we knew exactly what we were doing. So I expect both of those issues to come back this year and be successful. So we touched on inheritance tax a, a lot and, and, and we've wrote about it, done research about it. It's, uh, I've got a weekly email that's going to touch on it here tomorrow. Uh, we talked about the concern of the counties and, and what they might have to do if they don't have that 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 revenue. And I think our research showed that on average, it's about three and a half percent of the revenue that comes into all the counties. So uh, it, it's not small, but on the other hand, certainly there there's opportunities for them to budget differently. I would sure hope that they're not counting on this revenue on a on a regular basis because you can't control when people are going to die in a county right Ooh. right so 45 other states have gotten rid of it iowa uh, was the most recent state uh we have uh, a bill out there that was heard in the com committee last year that 
wouldn't necessarily uh, it, it put it to the vote of the people uh, to to see if they would support eliminating the inheritance tax. And our polling that we have done shows that almost 80 percent of the people uh, in Nebraska polled want to see that go away. You've already stated today that you want to take a look at that. And there certainly might be some momentum uh, towards uh, eliminating that. Got to obviously deal with the counties and, and their concerns as well. Uh, anything else you want to mention on inheritance tax before we uh, move to a different topic? No, I, I just think that it really is, it, back to your point about you can't budget it. So I don't know this, and I'm not like saying counties do this, but my gut instinct, just common knowledge, if I don't know I'm going to have money, and then all of a sudden, just my own personal life, like I open the mail and somebody decides to give me $5,000 that I didn't have budgeted, what do I do? I buy something I don't really need. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, if it's not in your budget, then you can live without it. I mean, that's just the bottom line with me. This is not, this is not, I don't think a good way to do business is to depend on somebody dying. Yeah, I, I would hope that they're not funding essential basic county services with revenue that fluctuates. And sometimes in some counties, don't even, they, they don't get a, any money uh, on right. an annual basis. So appreciate you keeping that on your radar. Anything else you want to mention on taxes or inheritance tax before we move on? Well, the one thing on the inheritance tax I will mention, and I don't like this, but I, I did pick up in our hearings. One of the reasons counties like it is because you have a lot of absentee landowners. So they're not taxing people that live in the county there. So it's it's kind of like a double negative for me. So you'd like it because the people you're getting money from don't even live there, meaning they don't have a vote. It's just I don't I don't like the inheritance tax. I think it's unfair. Yeah, I do too. And one of the frustrations that I hear from opponents, the county specifically, on getting rid of it. Well, if you get rid of it, then we're going to have to raise property taxes. Well, you're already raising property taxes. I mean, right. we, we talked about it. The valuations go up. You don't lower the levy rate. You're already doing that. We already have the seventh highest. We certainly don't want to see them getting worse, but I, I just don't buy it necessarily that argument. So we appreciate uh, your and, and the governor and, and other senators uh, taking a look at that next year. All right, you ready to move on to sure. uh, education and school choice? Yes. A topic I know you're very passionate about. Uh, when I started the Platt Institute 10 years ago, uh, it was an issue back then that Nebraska didn't have any school choice. And I believe uh, with the adoption of LB 753, we're the last state in the country to adopt and pass any enabling school choice legislation. Uh, this is the Opportunity Scholarships Act, which provides uh, income tax credits to fund, uh, to give uh, donors if they provide funding so lower income families can have uh, the opportunity to, to attend a private school. Uh, you championed this bill, worked on it several sessions, got over the finish line, and now it's being challenged through a petition drive. Give us your perspective on a couple things. Number one, why it's so critical for Nebraska. And then second, uh, what your thoughts on the petition drive. And then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question after you answer those two. We're going to talk just about what the facts are about school choice and the budget impact that it has on the state. 
Thank you very much. I am passionate about LB 753 Opportunity Scholarship, but the reality, I am passionate about education. I believe in education. I believe in good education. I believe that every, I believe it's the only way to climb out of poverty. If you're a family who's generational poverty, the only gate to get you to a better life is a good education. Not some place where you go and they just pass you through because, you know, sorry, poor kids can't learn. That will be a waste of our time. No, every kid in the state should have every opportunity to access the very best education that fits their needs. In many cases, that's a public school. I have five grandkids in, in Nebraska. They're all in public schools. Four of them in Aurora. It's a great district. They love it. I've got a daughter with a son in Norris. Great district. They love it. But what about the people that can't buy a house in a great school district? We have a lot of those. And those kids are getting left behind. I live in Elkhorn. People spend ridiculous amount of money to live in Elkhorn so they can send their kids to Elkhorn Public Schools. It's I made a joke last night. Somebody asked me, I go, well, you know, any piece of dirt in Elkhorn is worth $75,000 because you're in the school district. So we... We love school choice in Nebraska because we wouldn't have seven school districts in Douglas County if we didn't love school choice. We have several counties that only have one school district that's out in the panhandle, but half of our counties in the state have private schools too. And only four counties in our state have children who don't attend a private school. But what does that mean? That means only people with financial ability to access private school by paying tuition can have it. So we're leaving out probably 46% of the kids, that's the average free and reduced lunch in the States, 46% of kids are not getting the same opportunities that other kids and children and parents have because of financial means. It's not okay. It is not okay. So I, I am a big supporter of public education and a big supporter of private education. My biggest support goes to families and their children to access the best education they can. The reality is this year, we we spend a lot of money on public education in Nebraska. It's over $4.5 billion on K through 12. Think about that. That's almost as much as the whole state budget. I'm not saying that's not right or it's good. We, we've got to have good education, but we are not cheating public education. We are very generous to public education in Nebraska as we should be. The and they state, just got a $300 million increase this last year. $309 million. <gasps> plus, plus education futures fund to ensure that we won't turn the dials down when the revenue is shortfall. So they've got basically $1.39 billion, with a B, billion dollars. We also did things like teacher recruitment, teacher retention, we give grants now. There was a story in the paper this morning or yesterday, I can't remember, of uh, Omaha Public Schools not having enough special ed teachers. I mean, they're really short. So we passed a law this year that said, if you go back and get a special ed certificate, a STEM certificate, or a dual credit certificate, because we have a lot more kids willing to take dual credit than we have teachers, the state will give you a grant of $5,000. We also said, if you stay in teaching, if you're a beginning teacher and you stay in teaching for six years, Every two years, you'll get $2,500. So we, we are doing a lot to keep schools 
The other thing we did in the income tax bill this year is we gave early childhood tax credits that will are capped at 25 million. So the fight over the 25 million tax credit for to allow people to donate for scholarships is it's mind boggling to me that they're doing this. And I wouldn't even, I could understand that they were doing it if they were being truthful. They are not being truthful. I have heard, they have told people that you need to sign this or we'll take scholarships away from kids. You, if you don't sign this, your property taxes will go up. There are all kinds of misinformation floating out there and nobody's saying exactly what this does. It is a tax credit. We have dozens of tax credits on the books already. This tax credit, you can only use 50% of what you owe in state income taxes. We have a lot of tax credits that you can wipe out your whole tax liability for the state. So it's a lot of misconception. And I just come to the conclusion, the only real reason there can be so much pushback is public schools don't want any competition. So the very kids they complain about, the poor kids, the kids that aren't ready, the kids that, you know, don't have two parents in the home, the kids that haven't been ready, they're the ones they say they, you know, is the reason their scores aren't better. And yet when we try to help those kids, they're like, slam the door shut and basically hold them hostage. It's not okay. I was and looking at the union knows it's not okay. <laughs> so speaking of them, I got an email over the weekend. Uh, about trying to uh, uh, push this issue at, at our events that were started. And the leader said that there's going to be a $100 million cut to state revenue. It's going to lead to property tax increases. And the fiscal note alone says there's going to be $11 million cut in aid to school. This is some of the, the stuff that's floating out there. And the Platt Institute's going to continue our work on, on facts and myths about this bill. You want to address any uh, of those numbers or facts, not facts, I should say, but claims that I just made? Okay. It would be one thing if this was the only thing we did last year that affects revenue. I had at your event last night, somebody with AARP came up to me and said, I'm only worried about that because I don't know if it's sustainable in the budget. I said, it's $25 million. I go, were you happy that we did away with social taxes on social security? Oh yeah, that was great. Well, that's a lot more than $25 million a year. We, we did billions of dollars in tax cuts. So this is like less than one half of 1% of everything we did last year. And it is not, if you figure out what we do for public education, first we have the TOSA formula that's now 1.3 billion. Another 240 million, 250 million for special ed on top of that. We also have programs that go out that aren't in the formula. The first income tax excuse me, property tax relief that's on your property tax statement, that's about 500 million, 60% of that goes to pay for public schools. So you don't pay it, but the state sends the schools a check to make up for it. And then the income tax that's now going to be over 500, well, it's gonna be over $600 million. That's all to pay for public school. So we're into public schools for well over about two and a half billion dollars. So I don't know, I don't do math that quickly in my head. That's why I always try to set by Clemens, who's the appropriator, but 25 million versus 2.5 billion, it's not very much, it's it's silliness. The whole conversation is silly. I know well, millions of dollars is a lot of money, but at the state level, it is very sustainable. 
And we're not going to cut it. Go ahead. You I'm mentioned sorry. the two and a half billion. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You mentioned the two and a half billion coming from the state, but that's on top of the three billion that's coming from property taxes to fund public education. So you're looking at about $5 billion, a $300 million increase this last session alone. So how is that taking money away from public schools? It's not. It is an out and out lie. Now, the one truthful thing that is on the fiscal note, if 5,000 students leave public education, because the bill only pays for scholarships for children who are not already in parochial school. So if they're already in a private school, they don't qualify for this program. It has to be new entrants either into kindergarten, high school, or from another school. That would mean 5,000 kids would have to leave school. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And if it is, if it does happen, if they're really worried that they've got 5,000 kids whose parents want to send them to a different school, that's all the more reason we should do the bill. If you've got that many unhappy, nobody's going to take a happy child. You've got children, right? Got two. People do not pull their kids out of a school district that they're thriving in or happy in. People give up job promotions. They won't move. I got my family in Aurora. My son's getting transferred. They're staying in Aurora. He'll come back and forth on weekends because happy kids, you don't pull them out. What this bill is about is kids who aren't thriving, who need help, and the system they're in is not working for them. And it doesn't mean it's not a good school district. You can have a great school district, but it doesn't fit that kid's needs. And we have to be it's honest. We have a lot of systems where kids aren't learning to read. Well, less than half the kids in Nebraska are proficient in reading. That is not okay, and it's not good for our future. Some families don't have the luxury to move away from a neighborhood school that's failing. And this is a tool that will allow some lower-income families in the states, not Omaha-centric either, uh, to have opportunity for them to succeed in a better environment. So Grand Island is a good example. They, they've they had, it's been in the press, they've had a lot of struggles. I don't even, I don't know about Grand Island. I'm not picking on Grand Island, but I know they've had struggles. So they have, and they are a low-income community. They are highly equalized school district because they have a lot of immigration and they have a lot of children who are from low low economic status. They have 200 kids on a waiting list for a new grade school in Grand Island private school. There is a need all across the state. On the 15th of August, we're going to be in North Platte. Kim Schroll is very active with their private school out there. And you've got people in North Platte that are on your board. There, there's plenty of desire. And, and we have to be, and I'm not a cultural warrior. I really am not. I try to avoid those subjects. But when we have everything that's going on in schools today, I think it's okay that parents have other choices. I think school, public school personnel would be more attentive if they didn't know there was no other choice for that parent. It's just, it's America. Why does America work? Because competition. You don't get to open a gas station on 204th and say nobody else gets to open a gas station. You don't get to open a grocery store and say nobody else gets to open a grocery store. Why is it this is one most, and I agree with public school on this, it's one of the most important things we do as government is education. Why do we not let competition flourish so we have the best? Commuting, 
Sorry about that. Uh, that's a great way to sum up not only our conversation on school choice, but this episode of Nebraska Novics. Is there anything else you'd like to mention about LB 753 or school choice? So because of all the misinformation, we have been doing some work, the campaign Keep Kids First has been doing some work telling people what the bill really does. And we've had several people request to take their names off the petition. And there is a way to do that. There is a form. You can go to Keep Kids First Nebraska. You can go to your uh, county clerk or county election commissioner. I think uh, the county election commissioner in Lancaster did a story about this. If you have signed the petition because you've been told it would raise your property taxes or you've been told that somehow it's going to defund public schools or any of the multiple that are being spread out there and you find out you're not happy you signed it you can actually take your name off and it is if you feel that way you should because it is it's going to be a very uncomfortable if we go back to lincoln we had 33 senators vote for this package and people said it's not a package it was a package we have a lot of senators that wouldn't have voted to increase school funding for public schools unless we were also getting opportunity scholarship. So if we don't want a whole bunch of very unhappy senators next year in the legislature, I think it'd be better that they didn't get the signatures. Senator Linehan, thank you for your leadership on taxes and education and school choice. And thank you for joining me today on this episode of Nebraskanomics. Well, and thank you for doing your meetings across the state about truth and taxation. I. And as you said last night, and keep repeating it, you got to show up. You got to show up at the meetings. You got to tell people how you feel. And it's not a one and done deal. It's a constant. This Taxes are one of the biggest bills you pay every year. If, you're, if you have any success in Nebraska, between property taxes and income taxes, biggest tax, biggest bill you pay, pay attention. Goes with meetings. Thanks again, Senator Lynn. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, please visit platinstitute.org to make a donation to help fund our research and advocacy. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter and learn about today's most important issues facing Nebraskans. It's time to stop the status quo. Let's remove economic barriers and make Nebraskans proud.